In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The tax collectors and the sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man among you with a hundred sheep, losing one, would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? And when he found it, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders and then when he got home, called together his friends and neighbors. Rejoice with me, he would say, I have found my sheep that was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Or again, what woman with ten drachmas would not, if she lost one, light a lamp, sweep out the house, and search thoroughly till she found it? And then when she had found it, called together her friends. Rejoice with me, she would say. I have found a drachma I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that would come to me. So the father divided property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country, where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine, and now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants, who put him on his farm to feed the pigs and he would willingly have filled his belly with the husk pigs were eating, but no one offered him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, How come? How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they want? And here am I dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms and kissed him tenderly. Then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We are going to have a feast, a celebration, because the Son of Man was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the eldest son was out in the fields and on his way back, as he drew near the house, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. Your brother has come, replied the servant, and your father has killed the calf we had fattened because he has got him back safe and sound. He was angry then and refused to go in, and his father came out to plead with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders, 
yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his women, you kill the calf we had been fattening. The father said, My son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. But it was only right we should celebrate and rejoice, because your brother here was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. Our lengthy passage provides us with three parables of lost and found scenarios. All three paint an unforgettable picture of the overflowing love and forgiveness of God. It opens with the one lost sheep for which the owner scales hills and valleys, ravines and outcrops until he reconnects it to the other 99. The passage continues with one lost coin for which the woman of the house does a thorough cleaning to find it. And our trilogy concludes with the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps our familiarity with the parable of the prodigal son dulls our perception of just how radical this father's love is. Today I would like to pay attention to the third and longest of the three parables. Its most common name is the prodigal son, but I would prefer to give it a title which follows the pattern of the earlier two stories. If the first two stories speak of a lost sheep and a lost coin, what we have here is a lost son. But the younger son wasn't the only one lost. The ending of the story shows that his elder brother, who seems to have fulfilled his filial duties to, to their father, is equally lost, but with a big difference. There is no turning point in the elder son's story. I'm going to spare you another paraphrasing of an already lengthy but vividly told story with its many twists and turns. I would just wish to turn to the turning point in the story of the younger son, the wastrel who abandoned his duties at home, cursed his father to an early death, and lived a life of hedonistic excesses and debauchery. St. Luke tells us that after having experienced a radical reversal in his fortunes, and at a critical point where he had lost everything, his friends, his wealth, and his dignity, he came to his senses. This is the moment of awareness, the long-awaited regret, the needed sorrow for his mistakes. It is matched by an overwhelming realization of what he had lost, his father's immeasurable benevolence shown even to lowly servants. And so he begins the long track home. It is this point in the third parable which makes it unique among the set of three. I don't think that the lost sheep in the first parable nor the inanimate and non-sentient coin in the second could ever come to their senses. Only man is capable of doing this because only man possesses the freedom of intellect and will needed to repent of his ways. But let's not be under the impression that coming to his senses meant that he had fully acknowledged his culpability and was now truly repentant. His reasoning was still quite self-serving. How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they want, and here am I dying of hunger? Yes, there was an acknowledgement that he had made a miscalculated move. He thought he would be better off on his own without his father, but now realizes that even his father's servants have it better than him. But this was short of a contrition for his past faults. Hidden within this selfish and self-centered logic 
is also the uneasy acknowledgement of his father's generosity, that the servants under his father enjoy a lifestyle better than they could have ever deserved and would ever need. But such acknowledgement was the first step to his repentance. We are then presented with another amazing fact that the father in the story, whom every reader now understands, refers to God, the Heavenly Father. Nowhere else, remarked the theologian Hans von Balthasar, does Jesus portray the Father in heaven more vitally, more plainly. This Father, or God whom he represents, has never given up hope on his wayward and ungrateful Son. The Son may have turned his back on his Father, he, have mish- he may have wished his Father dead, he may have squandered his inheritance which the Father had given him, but now returns to a Father who has never given up or written off or turn his back on his son. In Rublev's icon of the hospitality of Abraham, or more commonly known as the icon of the Most Holy Trinity, the symbol in the backdrop which identifies one of the three nondescript angelic figures as a representation of God the Father is a house with a tower and a large window. From this tower, it is said, the father of the lost son would keep vigil, look up through the day and survey the horizon so as to catch the first sign of his son's return, as much as we are reminded to keep vigilant and stay awake for the Lord's return. Know this to be true. God never lets his guard down. God God is always watching for our return. And so we have this poignantly beautiful description of how the reconciliation of the father and the son takes place. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity, He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms, and kissed him tenderly. The father meets the son more than halfway, embraces him in love, even before the son was given an opportunity to utter his first words of apology. God's, I love you, always precedes our pitiful and often half-hearted, I'm sorry. When you're still far away, he sees you and runs to you, wrote St. Ambrose. He sees in your heart, he runs, perhaps someone may hinder, and he embraces you. His foreknowledge is in the running, his mercy is in embrace, and the disposition of fatherly love. God offers life and love to every wayward soul. He runs to embrace the returning sinner. How is the reconciliation sealed? One would imagine that the son is expected to pay back what he owed, his father, with interest thrown in or work to pay off the debt and to prove his trustworthiness after this massive loss in confidence. But the father's love goes beyond what we could ever imagine. Instead of demanding for recompense, the father lavishly pours up more gifts on the son. Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We are going to have a feast, a celebration. What do we see in these five gifts. All these point to the Son. And who is the Son? Definitely not the lost Son who had sinned against the Father and now returns in shame. Neither do these belong to the oldest Son who at the end of the parable had yet to come to his senses, which makes his younger brother better than him. You see, you can't earn these gifts. No, these gifts are the birthright of neither of these two sons but they belong to the one who is telling the story. It is Jesus Christ whose garments are stripped from his body, 
who now confer the garment of righteousness upon those who have been baptized in his name and who now share in his death and resurrection. It is Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, who now places the ring upon the finger of his bride, the church, whom he has washed clean with his blood shed on the cross. It is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, who now invites us to walk in his shoes, his sandals. And it's Jesus Christ, the unblemished paschal lamb, the fatted calf, who offers his life as a sacrifice on the cross and now feeds us with his body and blood in the endless feast of the Eucharist and anticipation of the banquet of heavenly glory. Yes, we all need to come to our senses. We all need to recognize that life can never be good apart from God. We all need to acknowledge that God owes us nothing, whether by virtue of our birthright, as in the case of the younger son, or by earning it like the older son. God's riches and our inheritance of eternal life can never be earned, nor is it something we are entitled to. Because he loves us, God has lavishly poured out upon us his most precious treasure of all. As St. John so beautifully puts it, For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.